Welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose. And with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. What I'm interested in is what part purpose has played in your life because you've been on a mission and you've been you've helped hundreds of thousands of people uh, both like I said in a business context and in an education context school age all, all ages and you've entertained what part has purpose played in your life um the purpose is is to enjoy yourself and achieve it's to do something new you know so I've written nine books um and I'm still not happy with with uh, my output i want to do more still um and take on more challenges there are five educational musicals two of them sponsored by um the, the blair government and the department of education we were playing to three and a half thousand kids a day you know with those shows only three-handed and um, on maths and science and it was it was lovely so all that i just wanted to do and it was fulfilling but i never sought television for that I didn't see those shows as televisual. So basically, I'm here and I'm always working on something until the phone goes and then working on something else. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me, I'll have a drink. Okay, that'll be that, sard- that sardines on toast from um, from your from Steph's Pat <coughs> Lunch the other day. Yes, sardines on toast. <coughs> I, I, need, I wanted to do a joke and I didn't rehearse, so I didn't have time. Right. When I was putting the butter on the bread, I wanted always put a little ghetto gutter on your head, yeah. you know. And told the story, I actually shared a room at Butlins in the winter for eight months with a ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. For eight months. Mm. Ken Wood, a lovely guy. But he would wake me up in the morning. He would be in front of the dressing table mirror with the three mirrors. And he'd be going, I, the, I'd like a piece of bread and gutter, <laughs> a nice piece of bread and gutter. And, and I, I would crack full about laughing. He can actually do a perfect impression of Johnny Mathis in Fossetto. And he tried to put that in the act. Yeah. So I saw it one when he woke up and he's in front of the mirror with his dummy, a cheeky little lad, as they usually are, going, look at me. I'm as helpless as a kitten. Book a tree. <laughs> Brilliant. Book a tree. And I just fell out of bed laughing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you, you are. You must have uh, you must have um, met and worked with uh, some. Well, I mean, you're a legend, but you must have met and worked with other legends as well. But surely, you, with your your comedy career, Harry Seacombe, the, the the loveliest man I've ever worked with. Absolutely, an absolute joy, mm. Harry. And uh, I, I was a comic then and worked with him in Singapore, in Aden, in and had had great times with Harry. You know. Um, until he, he had this terrible problem. He got a, a, a diabetes. It was quite mild diabetes, but he nonetheless had it. So they wouldn't let him drink. And when he didn't drink alcohol, um, his his personality came down several notches. And his singing voice dropped several notches. And he was in this terrible position where the medics were saying, oh, you've got to ease off. And, you know. and he said, no, that's what makes me tick. It's what makes me, you know, mm. and... Uh, and he was just wonderful. And he had to be loud and he had to be big and it was natural. And he laughed all day, all day, every day. And he was great fun to be with. 
Um, so, yeah, I knew him in his, his great days, you know. Um, good fun. Mm. You've changed uh, careers, focuses, you've pivoted. Uh, that's the, that was the modern phrase that came out during COVID, that all businesses were pivoting and all that lot. So, yeah. so, so, so how, how, have, how, have you, how have you managed those transitions then between the different um, parts of your career, if you like? Um, it, it, a lot of it, it, it is as it unfolds. It just, just as it happens. One of the um, great things for me, um, I, I was an ambassador of British engineering all the way through the 90s. So that's how I did the Torness job and wrote, wrote the script as well <clears throat> as presenting it. And, um, and I did lots of things like that. So I've worked at all the nuclear power stations. I've worked for Rolls-Royce, for Rover, um, <clears throat> did a national um, video campaign uh, for Rover, did all educational things. Did all kinds of things for all kinds of BA systems, uh, Airbus, British Gas, five years, seven years, National Grid. And I worked for all these people. So when I was out of television in the 90s, I was earning far more than I ever earned in television and had a great, great time. and could turn my mind to anything and worked with politicians. And I saw some good politicians, brilliant politicians. And <laughs> so I'm at a conference. Uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall, which is on Parliament Square. If you've got your back to the House of Parliament, then it's over on the right, right? And I was in there, uh, an educational conference, and this lady came up to me. She said, I believe you're on next, and then it's me. I said, yes. She said, would you mind if I went first before you? I said, well, it's it's the programme, but if they'll change it, I don't mind at all. She said, I'm not up to this job. She was the Minister for Education. And she resigned a month later. Wow. Put someone in her place who was worse. And, you know, and I saw that. And it's, it's sometimes frightening. It's sometimes frightening because the people who go into politics have no real schooling and expertise in any area except promoting themselves. And that's frightening. And unless they have um, civil servants who are schooled, who can put them right, rather like yes, minister. <laughs> you know, put them right or wrong according to their whims um, <clears throat> and mould them. That's what they have to do. Because very often the politicians do not know enough to be doing the job and have to rely on the secretaries below them to put them right and keep them on the right track. Mm -hmm. And if they don't listen, and if they're bombastic, and if they're pushed by their superiors to change things, um, it can wreck the whole thing. Yeah, then, then they become the fall guy. I mean, it's similar in in, um, in business. There's a book called The Peter Principle, which talks about some of the... It's quite, a, it's quite a funny book, actually. It's written in quite a com comical way, but it talks about the challenges of people in businesses that get promoted uh, beyond their ability because technically they're good at the job, but they don't know how to manage, lead, look further yeah. forward and all that sort of stuff. And I guess with politicians, them technically being good at the job is being able to speak and you know and all that sort of get themselves out of a sticky situation but without the technical detail perhaps in, in re working in reverse it would be unfair to say you can't learn because you can learn yeah but very often they're thrust into places and they're swapped positions you know so you're in in schools or education and suddenly you're in uh, energy how does that work how can you learn it in two days and start functioning as a minister mm. in a new department mm. you know mm. unless somebody's writing it for you unless you're obeying the rules by listening to the experts, 
And, but if you start getting opinionated yourself, you're going to be wrong in so many places. Yeah. It's, it's natural. Mm. It's, a, it's a crazy system. And we do need experts in every field. And we need the experts to have the voice and not people who are pushing their careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking publicly is obviously something that you do a lot. Not now, but because the government don't use me now. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, in general, throughout your career, you've you've been on stages talking to people, yeah. whether entertaining or educating or whatever. Public speaking is what you do. Some 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 people, a lot of people, actually fear that more than life itself. It, it, sometimes I think it's what's your biggest fear? Public speaking. I mean, how how have you ever kind of worked? Have you ever had a fear about public speaking or had to work through that? At times when I've been very nervous, but but generally speaking, you have to love people. You you really have to like people. You have to see the good in people. I, this sounds like I'm Bible punching, and I'm not. I'm not. It's 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 a fact. The more you like people, the more that people like you. And the better your life is and the richer it is, the bigger the chip on, a sh on your shoulder you have, the bigger that chip is seen to be by others. In fact, they see it as bigger than you do yourself. And you're sidelined as somebody with that opinion and that opinion is no good. Mm. So people tarred me with the blush of being anti-change um, anti in, the, in the energy industry. But I'm learned. I, I know what I'm talking about, mm. but they miss all that, you see. And it's not, and I don't envy any of these people. I don't envy anybody who's running or working with Extinction Rebellion. I really don't. Mm. Because if you think torturing other people, making life a misery for other people, just to put a point across, mm. that is not democracy. Democracy is getting things done and filtered down from the top and making rules and having accountable people make the rules and following those rules because they're the right decisions that people make. And uh, you, you can't, you can't start letting tires down on cars. You cannot start blocking motorways and, and think that you're doing anything that's anything other than bad. Mm. Irrespective of, you must have the biggest will in the world that you're right about your opinions, but you can't do it that way. Mm. You really cannot do it that way. It doesn't work. You've got to love people and you've got to love what you do so you become good at what you do and you love it because you're good at it and then you do it and you try to set, set across a feeling of, of, of mathematics is what I talk about most and, and science linked to mathematics because I love it. But I found so many things in mathematics that are so empowering and so simple and I offer those to people to show how you must never be daunted with mathematics and if you were taught math bad at school and you're not good at mathematics it is curable never let anybody call you a failure because it's correctable mm. it is correctable but you have to have the, the right framework the right attitude of mind you've got to be positive about wanting to be liked by other people because you like them in the first place yeah. that's the that's the essence and that's what you've got to do and you've got to be able to listen to all opinions and you can mark people down who you know with a you know you can mark them nine nine out of ten because there's ten percent of their thinking is totally against what you think um but you can still be friends because mm. you know and 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 still and sometimes hopefully help them perhaps learn the error of their ways and things like that. But you've got to want people 
to be successful. You've got to love people in general. You've got to love talking to people and, and getting a positive opinion about things out there and finding the positive side out there whenever you can. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, because people do not want to see, come and listen to somebody who's going to preach doom and gloom. Mm. And I, I, I can't because I don't have this doom and gloom feeling. Mm. It's terrible the state we're in at the moment, but it will not last. I don't think this is going to last that long. I think it's going to be a stain that is going to last for a long, long time. Mm. And a lot of people are going to be, their whole lives destroyed by it um, and possibly very difficult for them to recover. But I don't think it'll escalate beyond the borders there. I don't think it will because I don't know why, because I'm a, I'm a fool, you know, who is, who's thinking, trying to think the best, you know? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So what, what else were you going to ask me? Well, I was going to ask you some, I was going to ask you some quick fire questions just to sort of get, get under the bonnet a little bit. So, um, so music, what's your favorite album and why? The Drum Suite, 1950, 345, Ernie Wilkins and Maddie album with six tracks with four drummers and they all have their part and it's all written. And I learned from that and I can play it. I can play some of it now. Uh, I'm doing it too fast, um, but that's how it goes. But I know the whole LP, and and I learned to play the drums on it, and I got drums in my office over there, and I, I still play, but not often now. Um, but but the drum suite that changed my life, and that did so much for me in in terms of drumming. You know, I'm a drummer as well. I didn't know you were a drummer. Wow. Well, I I got this Roland kit, and they they said, "Oh, Johnny Ball, right." I said, "So what do you want to do?" So can you play? to about 200 drummers at the NEC. I said, oh, my God, when? They said, oh, not for six months. I said, I'll do it. So I got the kit, and I practiced for an hour a day minimum with four of the tracks from the drum suite, and the rest were tracks from Buddy Rich's old swing face, mm. but not the long solo tracks. All the filler tracks and the shorter solos track mm. and the drive and everything, all those. And I did, did that and I went up there and there's 200 drummers and uh, at the NEC, Keep Music Live. And I did that show and I played for 40 minutes to two other tracks. I said, you've just got to listen and see how close I am <laughs> to the others. Mm. And with the drum suite, the four drummers have got different personalities. And you can get different personalities. Some are harder, some are very light, some are beautifully tricky, some are complex. Um, and, uh, yeah, and uh, that's what I did. So I was so honoured to have done that. Mm -hmm. So I saw somebody a few weeks ago, and I said, you were at the NEC, I saw you. you know, I said, yeah. I said, what do you think? He said, awesome. And I don't play the drums at all these days, you know. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's so uh, yeah, that's what you can do if you if you put your mind to it. I, I did at least an hour a day for six months, and I was better than I'd ever been as a drummer. And I played in Liverpool, um, and I knew the Beatles very well and, and Ringo, and upset Ringo uh, somehow. And I didn't mean to. 
and um, but but I did. But I knew them uh, when they were like me on six five six quid a night, um, and uh, yeah. So there, yeah. Very so good. those those are my favourite al- albums. And the other thing was, though I was a drummer and in music, I once I got into science and writing my programmes, I have not listened or I've not learned a pop song for 40 years. I don't know any. I know a few because everybody sings them, you know. Mm. Uh, um, but but I've not, I'm, I was on Peter Kay's, um, I would walk 100 miles, you know, I was in the chorus with that, you know, with yeah. Peter. Yeah. It was lovely. On that, I know, because I've heard it so often, but most of the pop modes, I genuinely don't know, because I've done other things. It's been math, science, and and my outlets in that. Yeah, well, you got you got to pick, haven't you? Because you can't do everything. I um, I, I I've I've kind of kept in touch with music a bit, but I've sort of dipped in and dipped out, and uh, and yeah, I, I really enjoy. I mean, my, a good good friend of mine was fifty uh, yesterday, and my in fact, my best friend I've known since I was at Cubs with him, and we were in bands together. So we had a jam this weekend. Uh, we hired a rehearsal studio and had a, had a jam, and it was just brilliant. I mean, I was ragged and wooden, and you know, you, you know the, the the old joke. But you can you can tell you can tell who's knocking at the door if it's a drummer because it speeds up. You know, so 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 that was that was me, classic. But my arm couldn't cope with it. My my my, my right arm couldn't cope with it. So uh, so yeah, I've got an arthritic finger, and if I do this, and I'm holding it, and it's. On, on the joint, yeah. it's like electric shock. So imagine doing that every stroke. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, uh, so I don't play very often now. No, 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 no. But fair play. It's a brilliant instrument. Love it. Okay, and so what would be your perfect weekend? Uh, probably going up to Liverpool, watching Liverpool FC. They're just one. And taking my son and grandson up there. That That is just fabulous. Mm. It, it's just they're wonderful. We're so lucky that Klopp's produced a, a quite an incredible team at the moment. You know, they are quite incredible. And they lost last night to Inter Milan 1-0 the night before that. And he said, thank goodness for that. He said, because we've lost one, but they didn't matter. Because so many teams, oh, you've won so many on the trot. Oh, you hadn't lost till then, you know. And the pressure gets bigger and bigger from the press. And now they say, yes, we lost last week. So we do lose. So now it's ease the pressure. And, uh, and Klopp, now, if you want a role model, if you want a, a, a motivator, you need, you need to go any further than Klopp. He's quite incredible. Mm. Quite incredible. Lovely man. Yeah. Well, I wish you'd lost the previous game because I'm a West Ham fan. Oh, I know. Well, well you beat us at West Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take yeah. it. So there you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll take and it. And I, I like David Moyes, you know. Mm. And uh, and Rice wasn't playing, was he, when you came up to us? Mm. And Rice is a kingpin, you know. Um, like, like our, like, no, all our players are kingpin. <laughs> However, <laughs> we won't get, we won't get into this. This is the kind of joke I do in pubs with people. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it out of love. So that's the important thing. That's the important right. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Okay, good. So that sounds like a quite a good weekend. I, I went to college in Liverpool as well. So I do, I do think Liverpool is a great place to go for a weekend. So yeah, lovely, lovely time. Yeah. When I first went there. <clears throat> when I first went there, I'd, I'd, my parents lived in Cleveland, Blackpool, and I'd been to Blackpool and I'd worked on the Pleasure Beach and earned some money, not quite legitimately. Uh, the only thing I've done is honest in my entire life. 
and it wasn't actually stealing. It was people giving me money, which they shouldn't be doing, you know, and but that was it. However, so I went there and I had to get a job. So I got a job eight pound a week in an office, turgid office, like a Dickensian office. You couldn't believe how outdated it was. Less stoppage is seven pound a week. Less my digs, three pound 50, less three pound 50, right? Or three pound 10 in those days. <clears throat> less cigarettes, 30 bob, left two pounds. Less HP on my drums, two pounds, left zero. And I haven't even got on a bus yet, right? And that's how poor I was. Mm. And that was <clears throat> October, late October. And I turned that round and by Christmas, just after Christmas, I bought a suit because they only had one pair of trousers. And I used to wear them in the office all day and wear them playing drums. And I started playing drums for two quid a night I was playing, you know. And uh, but I, I, I got out of that. But that was the lowest I ever was. And I got out of it. So that's the other thing, dude. However low you can be, you can get out of it mm. if you believe in yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, what makes you lose track of time? What makes me lose track of time? Yeah, yeah. When he, any project, you know, when I'm when I'm on a project, I'm in, and I look. Oh my god, is that a time? Mm. Yeah. And so the dog is now looking at me and saying, "What the hell's going on?" Because we, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and uh, so, so so no, I'm on a project. I can lose all track of time. Mm. And when I wrote my series, because the kids were young, I used to then in those days go to the pub. At half past ten, just at half past ten, and I still two pints, occasionally two and a half, occasionally three. My wife says, "If you have two and a half, you come back and you argue with the television, and if you have three, you come back and you stand up and argue with the television." <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. So I know we have to. But I used to go there to closing time, and then with the kids in bed, my wife in bed, that's when I wrote my programs. Till, till whatever it took, depending on the deadline, sometimes till one or in the morning, sometimes till four or five in the morning, you know, and then catch up during the day. And that's how I wrote all my programs. And um, in, in, when I wrote those, and it was, it was it's hard work when you got to do, uh, I was doing three series a year, writing three series a year um, and performing them, you know, so it's, it's hard work. Yeah, yeah. It was good times, good Brilliant. times. Brilliant. So um, is there any such thing as a stupid question? There are stupid answers. <laughs> no, because if, if somebody's asking a stupid question, as Einstein said, be careful what you're doing when you're teaching or whether you're conveying information, because if you can't explain it to a seven-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. And that is so true. And so when I wrote the program, people say, what age do you aim at? I said, I'm sorry. They said, what age when you're right? I said, never occurred to me. It's never occurred to me that I'm right to any age. I want everybody to understand it. And, uh, and, and that's the way I've always worked. And, uh, and I've got to be clear what I'm saying when I write it down. I've got to be clear. Hopefully, I've been clear today. You know, mm. I don't know. But, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the essence. And that was the essence to tell you. I'm told that my programs that I did wouldn't be commissioned today. And I say, well, yeah, well, that's the loss, I think, of television. Because now everything is 
it's thrown together television. It really is. You know, the money goes on the drama, and the drama, I think, is still very good, and it has to be. If people like the BBC want to sell it around the world, it's got to compete with the rest, and it's got to be good, and that's where the money goes. But all the other programmes, including all the daytime programmes, they're so thrown together and so little thought. You know, you write the block for a programme in half an hour, and it could be an hour-and-a-half programme, you know, and you... And you and then wing it. And that's what a lot of television is about, you know, and it wasn't in our day. Because mm. I was working, when I was working with children's, we were by far the best children's television group in the world. We were so good that ITV stopped buying cartoons because they couldn't justify it because they weren't getting the figure, viewing figures to justify even buying them. So they had to improve their programming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what- improve. And that was the golden age. That was that golden age I was in with the BBC, yeah. and it's gone now. When they give, because <clears throat> we were on from four literally till the news, you know, and um, so it was natural to go from us straight into the news and straight into adult programming, and it was seamless. So we were always told you you write out, you don't write down to the kids, you write up, you keep it up, mm. <clears throat> stretch everybody's mind, including your own. Mm-hmm. And that's what we we did, yeah. Mm. Now, well, I, well, I do remember, and I've also watched some old reruns as well. You know, it's it's on the it's on the internet and all that, and um, and so, so so was it was it all very scripted then? Because it because it, it gave it gave the appearance of. I mean, obviously, the, the, a lot of the gags were timed with things falling out of the sky and all of those sorts of things, and the audience yeah. interaction can't be scripted, I suppose. But um, but it was scripted. Yeah. It was scripted, mm. and the jokes were scripted. Mm. Uh, but I, but there was no autocue. I never had autocue. Never. I did play school for sixteen years. It was only a passing thing. Play school, <clears throat> sixteen years, and we never used autocue. So you learned, and you learned to to learn it very quickly. Linda Barron has died. The lovely lady who was in uh, Open All Hours, mm. and she could re- could re- look at her script and she knew it. Bang, read it once, you know. And I was about the same in when I was in television. I uh, it became it became look see it and did it. and when I wrote it I rewrote it in the program according to how the props came up how things looked and how things were and and rewrote it actually in rehearsal and then and then did it you know no no autocue no no thought of occasionally I had a long list I have an idiot board of the of the words mm. I've had a long list to repeat <clears throat> like the elements <laughs> yeah but I learned. Um, yeah, so yeah, brilliant. It was, uh, it, it was good. It, it, we were professional. We did it and did nothing else. Mm. You know, but made those programs. Mm. It was lovely, great crew, great, lovely people to be with. Mm. So, what makes you cry with laughter? With cry with laughter, mm. lots of things we cry with laughter. But make me cry. I don't think anything really makes me cry. Mm. It's sad because I've come very close in this last couple of weeks mm. with what happening in Ukraine. It is the most devastating thing. Is. So I'm thinking all the time, what what can anybody do to help? What can we do? Where can we, you know? So I've written to a few people mm. with suggestions. Mm. <clears throat> I suggested that, that it could be the first war that is brought to its knees by social media. It could be the first ever. Mm. Because social media will out. And a lot of people in Russia, it's all right, sticking them in jail, even if you're eight-year-old, and stick, arresting you for, for complaining about the war in Russia. 
and threatening to stick you in jail for 20 years for that. You can do that to some people, but you can't do it to people's minds. Mm. You can't do it, and it will it will rebound. It'll have to come up. It'll it'll have to come up, and it could be social media will be the one that stops this war or changes the war or makes this war different to any war that's been before, for the better, by tempering it, by clearing it up, by people being in the know. We'll be right back.